Welcome to Women's Voices. My name is Genevieve Gluck. December 6th marked the 32nd anniversary of the École Polytechnique Massacre in Montreal, also known as the Montreal Massacre, an anti-feminist mass shooting at an engineering school associated with the University of Montreal. On December 6th, 1989, Marc Lapine entered a mechanical engineering class at the École Polytechnique and ordered the women and men to opposite sides of the classroom. He separated nine women, instructing the men to leave. He stated that he was fighting feminism and opened fire. He shot all nine women in the room, killing six, and then moved through corridors, the cafeteria, and another classroom, targeting women for 20 minutes. In total, he killed 14 women before killing himself. I will first be reading an article by Julie Bindle, published in The Guardian, on December 3, 2012. The article is titled, The Montreal Massacre, Canada's Feminists Remember. This will be followed by a recording of a speech given by Andrea Dworkin on December 7, 1990, at the University of Montreal speaking on the one-year anniversary of the massacre. It was a cold, drizzly day on December 6, 1989, when a young man brandishing a firearm burst into a college classroom at the École Polytechnique in Montreal, Canada. The 60 or so engineering students there had little time to react before the men were ordered from the room and the gunmen began shooting the women. Six female students were killed instantly, while three more were left injured. The killer, 25-year-old Mark Lapine, was armed with a legally obtained Mini-14 rifle and a hunting knife. He had earlier told a shopkeeper he was going after small game. Lapine had previously been denied admission to the École Polytechnique and had been upset, it later transpired, about women working in positions traditionally occupied by men. Before he opened fire, Lapine shouted, You're all a bunch of feminists, and I hate feminists. One student, Natalie Provost, protested, I'm not a feminist. I have never fought against men. Lapine shot her anyway. The gunman then moved through the college corridors, the cafeteria, and another classroom specifically targeting women to shoot. By the time Lapine turned the gun on himself, 14 women were dead and another 10 were injured. Four men were hurt unintentionally in the crossfire. Francine Pelletier, a feminist activist and newspaper columnist at Montreal's La Presse newspaper, describes feeling totally floored on hearing about the massacre, but nothing prepared her for the discovery that she was on a list found by police in the killer's pocket. Nearly died today, it read. The lack of time, because I started too late, has allowed these radical feminists to survive. Immediately after the shootings, various media commentators and quasi-psychologists proclaimed that Lapine was a madman 
and that the woman just happened to be in the way as opposed to being specifically targeted. A psychiatrist at the Hôtel du Hospital in Quebec was quoted in La Presse as saying that Lapine was, quote, as innocent as his victims and himself a victim of an increasingly merciless society, end quote. This was a period of significant growth in men's rights groups, says Martin Dufresne, founder of Men Against Sexism, a group active at the time of the massacre. But the public felt too uncomfortable with the political explanation. Police refused to go public with the killer's suicide note, arguing at a press conference that it might inspire copycat killings. It was this downplaying of Lapine's true motives that made Pelletier determined to get a hold of it. Months later, she was sent a copy in the post anonymously. Quote, Would you note that if I commit suicide today, it is not for economic reasons, but for political reasons, it read. Because I have decided to send the feminists who have always ruined my life to their maker, I have decided to put an end to those viragos. End quote. Melissa Blay, a lecturer and doctoral student at the University of Quebec, is the country's leading scholar on the topic of the massacre and its anti-feminist context. She interviewed a number of women for her research, who were active feminists in 1989, and found that many felt responsible for what happened at Montreal. Quote, Afterwards, they chose to be silent to avoid further attack. When I became a feminist, around the year 2000, I was puzzled to see that some were still reluctant to talk in political terms about the attack. It seemed as though the most efficient way to dismiss the feminist explanation was to reduce everything to the psychology of a single mad man. End quote. Pelletier agrees that Lapin's act was highly political and believes he knew exactly what he was doing that day. I always felt those women died in my name. Some of them probably weren't even feminist, she says. They just had the nerve to believe they were peers, not subordinates of their male classmates. The pro-choice movement was galvanizing at the time of the massacre. Six months earlier, a Quebec woman, Chantal Daigle, had scored an important victory by overturning an injunction obtained by her violent ex-partner at the Canadian Supreme Court, preventing her from ending a pregnancy. More than 10,000 women demonstrated in Montreal streets in support of Daigle. The massacre spurred many campaigns to end male violence, and there was much international solidarity. I was part of a group that organized a vigil two days later at Trafalgar Square in London. But, says Pelletier, the effect on the women's movement in Canada was profound. I was one hell of a disillusioned little feminist on the 6th of December 1989. It had all been too easy, she says. What we realized, after the massacre, was that there had been a quiet and growing resentment from many men towards feminists, and for us, a huge price to pay for all that we had achieved. End quote. I recently spent some time in Montreal and found a vibrant and growing feminist movement, with older women determined to mentor younger generations and encourage a return to the radicalism that was typical of Canadian feminism before 1989, when the feminist movement was characterized by the formation of fathers' rights organizations and the refusal to accept that men had institutional power and privilege over women. In Canada, December 6th is a day of remembrance and action on violence against women. As the late feminist writer Andrea Dworkin said, quote, It is incumbent upon each of us to be the woman that Mark Lapine wanted to kill. We must live with this honor 
this courage. We must drive out fear. We must hold on. We must create. We must resist. Thank you. Um, thank you. That was uh, an extraordinary and overwhelming introduction. I, uh, I want to uh, tell you that I don't dare to try out my very, very poor French in front of you. I am too embarrassed to do so. Um, I thank you for inviting me here, and I want to thank the translators, and I want to thank the organizers for having the simultaneous translation um, as I was thinking about this problem, I was realizing that we women barely have any speech at all. And so to be divided by language for us is a terrible thing. Um, I was here last night during the town meeting. Uh, I read the papers today. And what I heard and what I saw was that the establishment was saying, yes, we are willing to be sad. Yes, it is appropriate for you to cry. After all, girls do cry. But when there was an expression of anger, establishment said, sit down, bitch. It is very hard to think of what is an adequate way of mourning. But we know that tears are not adequate. Yes, we know how to cry. The question is, how do we fight back? We might have wanted to claim the benefit of liberal feminism. We might have wanted to say, look at us. There are women now going to engineering school. Look at us, aren't we wonderful? Do you know how many women now are in law school? Do you know how many women now are on construction sites? Well, the answer is not very many, but in the last year, since these 14 women were murdered, liberal feminists cannot stand up with any sense of pride and say, ah, look at what we have done for you. We stand up with grief and terror and rage There is no credit to claim. We want to say, oh, they were in that school because of us. You see, we broke down the barriers. That is a two-edged sword. Yes, they were in the school because of us. We broke down the barriers. And this man, who was not crazy, who was political in his thinking, 
and in his actions understood the meaning of those barriers coming down. And he committed a political act so that we would retreat, so that new barriers could be built, and so that women would not have the heart or the courage or the patience or the endurance to break those barriers down. Um, we have been asked by many people in the societies in which we live to um, accept that we women are making progress. You see, because you see our presence in these places where we weren't before. And those of us who are berated for being radicals have said, that is not the way we measure progress. You see, we count the dead bodies. We count the numbers of rapes. We count the women who are being battered. We keep track of the children who are being raped by their fathers. And when those numbers start to change in a way that is meaningful, we will then talk to you about whether or not we can measure progress. All of the accomplishments of feminism, for which, by the way, uh, we are not often thanked, and that is why we rush in to claim anything we can claim, um, have been made not always with deep politeness, but with the most extraordinary patience and self-restraint, by which I mean we have not used guns. They have been used against us, and we have not used guns. We have used words. We have marched saying words. And it is my experience, and I think the experience of most of the women that I know, and that I consider that I stand with, that everything we achieve, we are punished for achieving. Every statement we make, we are punished for making. Every act toward self-determination that we make, we are punished for making. Every assertion of dignity is punished, either socially, by the great media out there, when they choose to recognize us, it is usually through ridicule and through contempt, or by the men who are around us, who are in fact the foot soldiers in this very real war in which the violence is almost exclusively on one side. Um, 
And the purpose of the punishment is very clear. Whether it's an act of forced sex, whether it's being beaten, whether it's being insulted with words, whether it's being harassed walking down the street, whether it's being sexually harassed in your place of work, it's very clear. Get inside. Shut your mouth. Do what I tell you, which is usually reducible to clean the house and open your legs. And many of us have said no. No. We say it in different ways. We say it in different times. But we say no, and we've said it loudly enough and collectively enough that it has begun to resonate in the public sphere. No! No, we will not. No! Now, there is an answer to our no. A semi-automatic gun is one answer. There are also knives. There are bombs. It's not a pleasant conversation that we're having. The press and the establishment politicians and the social pundits are using the differences between this mass murder and the usual patterns of violence against women to confuse the issues, as if the differences are what matter and not what is the same. We know what is the same. So first, let us talk analytically about the differences. Instead of le just letting them manipulate the differences to make it into an event that simply will never be replicated in all the history of the world. Um, women, as you know, are usually killed in our own homes in what is called private, because a man and a woman together is not considered a social unit. It is him, he is the human being, and his subordinate. There's a Russian proverb that is something like, if you see a man and a woman coming, uh, you know that one person is walking down the road. Um, we are usually hurt without the scrutiny of cameras and announcements. We are usually hurt by men we know, and especially by men with whom we've been intimate, by which I mean sexually involved. Because in the society we live in, Intercourse is a phenomenon of ownership of women. And men who have sex with women believe or feel or think, whatever the right word is, that that woman then in some way belongs to them. And indeed, all of the euphemisms in English, uh, possession, I possessed her, 
the verb to have. I had her. Take. I took her. Sex as conquest. I conquered her. Violation. I violated her. All of those words are used as euphemisms for sexual intercourse. Um, women are usually killed in isolation, not in a public place. Women are usually killed simply for being women, not for being feminist. The women who are most often killed by strangers are women who live out on the street, prostitutes and homeless women. This population of women is overwhelmingly um, characterized by having large percentages of women who are doubly dispossessed, which is to say that they come from racially stigmatized groups. They are impoverished even by the standards of women. And I think that it's really a mistake to say that they're being hurt by strangers because, in fact, when you look at the transaction, what happens to prostitutes on streets is a form of date rape, really. Or date death, really. A man buys a date and he hurts or kills a woman. And in the United States, at any rate, a significant number of those women who are hurt are called Jane Doe. No one knows where she came from. No one knows who her people are. No, there is no place for her. She has no home to be killed in. It used to be that women were sexual chattel under the law so that the man had the backing of the state. Now, men exercise their sense of possession and ownership in a more laissez-faire manner. They bear more personal responsibility for making sure that you stay subordinate. It's hard on them. You know how rebellious you are. I mean, they have to work 24 hours a day at this. This isn't easy. That's what you're reading in the newspapers. They're suffering. Um, but not enough. Not yet. One of the differences in the way Mark Lapine killed these women is that when women are killed, it's almost never called murder. There are many euphemisms. It was a family fight. Father kills wife and children. Not mass murderer. He's a mass murderer. It's not some little family soap opera. One man has killed several people. And what those people have in common is a common powerlessness in relation to him 
and the fact that, as far as society is concerned, he owns them. And so what we see is that uh, instead of being characterized as a mass murderer, we're told that there's been a domestic tragedy. Uh, we're frequently told the man has been under terrible stress. He's been having a terrible time. Uh, it's very pathetic and pitiful for him. We are also told that his wife provoked him. You heard one example here today. We could be here for the next year and a half were we to cite all the examples that we know of. Um, and when prostitutes are raped or killed, in the United States, the policy of the police is not to even begin to take it seriously until the numbers of corpses are in the double digits. That is official state policy. Um, these women were murdered Yes, because they were women. Now, try to measure progress. But not only because they were women, because they were students, because they were learning, because they wanted what has been sacred male knowledge. They were trespassing on sacred male ground. They wanted to be engineers. And that was taken to be a militant act of aggression on their part. And feminism, in part, can properly be defined, I think, as a war against masculinity because of the social meaning of masculinity. What is the same in their death is that Mark Lapine, along with other men who hurt or kill women, cannot, could not coexist outside a context in which women were completely submissive. He couldn't tolerate it. And when men can't stand something, they do something about it. And here is the deepest criticism of us. When we can't stand something, we often don't. He felt he had a right to do what he did. He said, life does not bring me any joy. The boy was looking for joy. He wanted to bring the fun back into his life. But there is a precondition for joy in masculine terms. And that precondition is that women are in their place. And you can't have a lot of fun in the world as a man If women anywhere in your perception 
are getting out of control. Now, I have seen a lot of the press up here say, I don't want to be associated with Mark Levine. Well, yes, it is true that not every man picks up a semi-automatic gun, but a lot of them don't have to because they have pens. And a lot of them don't have to because they exercise destructive, annihilating power in other ways over women. They destroy women, body, and soul. But yes, the shells are allowed to keep walking around. They're useful. Remember the part about lying down and spreading your legs. You don't have to have a heart. You don't have to have a spirit. Um, he reacted the way that white people in the American South reacted when the white-only signs started coming down. That is to say, with violence. Um, and feminists are the active agents, and we're the people who are responsible for polluting his environment. We have done that by introducing women into the professions, into working-class jobs, from which women were excluded, into history. And I hope you have read his letter that was published. War is a male territory. It's part of masculine heroism, masculine identity. And even the suggestion that women had behaved heroically in a situation of war was a deep political insult to him. This is a masculinity that is based on the erasure of women, metaphorically and literally. And what I want you to note about it is its extraordinary cowardice. It's unbelievable cowardice. And if you look at any distance, if you can get any distance, at male violence against women, what you will see is the cowardice of that violence. Uh, the massacre of the 14 women, the cowardice is clear. But the cowardice is clear in every act of rape as well. I don't know if it's the same here, but in the United States, of the rapes that we know of, that are reported, 43% are pair or gang rape. And that's almost half. And of that, 27% are three or more men. And 16% are two men. We're not living in the world we live in because men are physically stronger than we are. Because they gang up to attack us and hurt us. And in every act of brutality towards us, what we see is a coward. The husband who batters his wife needs the support of the state to keep doing it. And he, he gets it. He gets the compliance of the society. He gets the reinforcement from the media that tell him that this is a really sexy thing to do. He gets 
his $10 billion a year pornography industry, in which women are raw material that are bought and sold for him, so that he can have some of that joy that Mark Lapine was talking about. Um, the men who use prostitutes are also big, bad, and brave. They take women who have been sexually molested as children, who are poor, who are homeless, who have no help in this society, and they use them. Now, if that is not a paradigm for what a coward is, then I don't, I don't know how we talk about any of it. Um, prostitution, the way men use women in prostitution, has, is a lot like gang rape. In the sense that what men do to women, they do for the sake of each other. I am a man. Another man was here before me, another man will be here after me. What I have in common is what I have in common with him. And she is simply the vehicle for me to experience our collective superiority to anyone who is like her. Um, I own her because I have bought her, both the wife and the prostitute. I own her because I have bought her. I am morally superior to her because I have bought her. She belongs to me, and her behavior is mine to control. I saw a sociologist on television last night, male sociologist, perfectly fine guy, hey, he's on our side, right? Uh, in his opinion, which was an exceptionally learned one, the massacre here was the first and I'm quoting, I wrote it down. I didn't want to um, even allow myself to exaggerate. Quote, the first political act against women, end of quote. In other words, that has ever happened, in his opinion, in his erudite opinion. Um, the courts don't commit political acts against women when they are organized to support the rapists and the batterers. No! Nor when they take women's children away from them and, as is happening in the United States, give them to fathers who are raping them. No, that's not political. Nothing that has ever happened to us before is political. And what we are supposed to do is to believe that we have our private lives, and my God, you know, it's a good man is hard to find. But you just keep searching and searching and searching and searching, and eventually, hopefully, before you're brain dead from being beaten, you will find him. That's not political, that's personal. That's why everyone talks about psychologists. They are here to convince you that this is personal, not political. And the authorities here are trying to convince you 
that if you organize politically against male violence, you will be responsible for making men angrier. I mean, on every TV show, in every newspaper, and at the forum last night, we were told, well, men haven't really gotten used to these new roles for women. That's why they're hurting women. Well, men used to have the legal right to beat their wives. So why were they doing it then? I mean, something new has happened, but their behavior has stayed the same. They beat their wives when the state said they could beat their wives. And now that the law has changed, they beat their wives. Oh, well, that's clear. I think what all these male authorities are trying to say is this. We don't understand why he killed them because he hadn't fucked them. All right, now, if he had fucked them, we would understand it. And it would have something to do with us. It would be private. It would be none of your business. But we would understand it. But hey, when a man kills a woman with whom he doesn't have that relationship, he's crazy. I think that's what's going on here. In terms of politically what has been done to us, uh, I, I will say this. I think that male control of women through law and through the church has broken down considerably. Now, that's the kind of statement that one can make as long as one doesn't say, we did it. But we did it. You see, we did it. The reason that we're not chattel in marriage is that we changed those damn laws in many places, and they're still changing. And we have created a rebellion of women in marriage who do not find that marriage means that men have bought sexual access. You see, we changed that. We did that. So what do men do if they don't have the law that they had before, the police that go with the law that they had before, the church that they had before, the power of the church that they had before? How to control and hurt women. Because systems of power are capable of reorganizing themselves. And the fact that things look different doesn't mean that the hierarchy has changed. And it's the hierarchy that we have to look at. Not the fact that some social patterns of behavior are different. But who's on top and who's on the bottom? And then, if we have hard enough to do it, what he's doing to her when he's on top? And she's on the bottom. Um, I, I am astonished, of course, as I know you are, even if, if uh, we can intellectually analyze it, that these people out there, these, these folks, these intelligent people who keep this machine going and going and going and going, so they know something, um, don't understand why we recognize in this massacre 
something familiar to us instead of something completely different. What we recognize as being familiar to us is the hate that is in the act, the hate for women, the bitterness and the resentment for women who are not being sexually submissive at that moment, at least, and the rage, his rage, towards us. I don't think that there are probably any women in this room who don't recognize from our own lives those elements in men. And we see it in this act, and therefore the act seems familiar, not bizarre. Um, some of the women who were murdered may have been feminists and some not. See, women don't get a right to say, I am. I am. We are just all the same, one way or another. We can look at this and we can understand that the men around us will widely experience any act of dignity on our part as an act of feminism, whether it is or it isn't, any act of stepping outside the circle of submission as an act of feminism, whether it is or it isn't. I want us to understand that as well as Mark Lapine did. Now, there are two strategies for dealing with a dead woman when she has been murdered by a man. One is the one you're seeing here, which is we look at the man and we create, socially create, sympathy for him. The other is that we look at the woman or women and we find out what's wrong with her. That's the usual strategy. That's why you're taken a little aback by how this is being done. You see, maybe if there were three women, we would be reading about all the terrible things they had done by the age of 21. And the media would be trying to convince the public at large that they deserved what happened to them because, after all, were they virgins? How many men had they been with? Now it becomes familiar. This is the way murdered women are usually treated. But because of the rootedness of these women in this community, because presumably, I think, of the social power of their families, because of the fact that they themselves are part of, with respect to other people, an elite, these women are not being treated this way yet. You see, the newspapers won't do it. Books by misogynist men will. Our intrepid investigative reporter will go out there and find the men who know the real dirt. This is not over yet. These women have been killed, but they will be raped. This is not over. It's too important. I would like to 
tried to say something that I find very difficult to say. Um, I want to tell you that, I want to ask you really, to, uh, to grant me any generosity that you can when I say it to you. Uh, it is not a cheap remark. It is something that involves my life as well. I think that one of the most important commitments that anyone can make to life or to feminism is to make sure that you deserve your death if you die at the hands of a misogynist. That you have done everything that he in his mind accuses you of. That every of treason he is killing you for is one you have committed. I think, when I think about myself, um, like many women, I have a long history of uh, violence against me. And I say, to my increasing shame, that anyone who has hurt me is still walking around. They're fine. Nothing has happened to them. And when I look at my own life, I think about the difference between being beaten because I didn't clean the refrigerator and the difference between that and having my life threatened because I'm fighting pornographers. And I want to tell you that there's a better and a worse. And that it is better to encounter anything when you have made a choice that puts you where you want to be, fighting for your own freedom and fighting for the freedom around you. I think about this a lot. I have reason to. And I think that feminists should Remember that while we often don't take ourselves very seriously, the men around us do take us seriously. I think that the way that we can honor these women who were executed for crimes that they may or may not have committed, which is to say political crimes, I think the way that we can honor them and remember them is to commit every crime for which they were executed. Crimes against male supremacy, crimes against the right to rape, crimes against male ownership of women, crimes against the male monopoly of public space and public discourse. We have to stop men from hurting women in everyday life, in ordinary life, in the home, in the bed, in the street, and in the engineering school, we have to take public power away from men, whether they like it or not, and no matter what they do, if we have to fight back with arms, then we have to fight back with arms. We do. We do. But one way or another, we have to disarm men. 
We have to be the women who stand between men and the women they want to hurt. We have to end the impunity of men, which is what they have for hurting women in all the ways they systematically do hurt us. And the feminist is the woman who is there, not because she is his woman, but because she is the sister of the woman that he is being a weapon against. Feminism exists so that no woman ever has to face her oppressor in a vacuum, alone. It exists to break down the privacy in which men rape, beat, and kill women. What I am saying is that every one of us has the responsibility to be the woman that Mark Lapine wanted to murder. We need to live that with real honor, with courage. We need to put fear aside. We need to endure. We need to create. We need to resist. And we need to stop dedicating the other 360 however many days of the year to forgetting everything we know. We need to remember every day, not only on December 6th, and we need to consecrate our lives to what we know and to our resistance to male power used against us. Thank you.